Welcome everybody, my name is Pav Bryan, I'm Performance Director and Co-Founder here at Spokes and you are listening to Bespoked, the cycling and triathlon training podcast. Now I'm delighted to be joined by someone who I regard as an absolute expert in his field. He's worked with many professional rugby teams and currently takes up two really important positions. The first is with British Cycling and the second is with us at Spokes as strength and conditioning expert. Scott Pearson, how are you doing mate? I'm all right, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And just for the listeners, uh, obviously you're aware of the title. The title of this is going to be part of our strength and conditioning series. And we're really talking about getting started today. So we, we're going to jump in in a minute uh, with some myth busting and general questions that we've had from either uh, clients in the past or Scots are aware of or anything like that. Uh, but the main thing I think we're going to get to take away from today is a key understanding of how you would prioritize weight training around cycling running and swimming how do you determine uh, which is the uh, wh- where to spend the most time on and uh, especially given that the majority of us are still working uh, and have families too so it might seem like strength and conditioning is something that you won't you won't want to add in because you've always only got a limited time but I'm sure Scott is going to give us how we do that and why we should And then we're going to finish with some uh, top tips on uh, how to get started uh, and maybe some body weight moves that you can do from home um, rather than having to to go and uh, jump straight in at the gym. So, Scott, welcome. And uh, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, so I, well, I'm a, I'm a strength coach, strength and conditioning coach, and I've um, I've been doing that for well, I'm full time in sport since about 2003. Um, as you said in the intro, there, um, most of my time, well, a lot of my time has been spent in rugby union. I worked for several rugby union clubs. Um, the first one I worked at was Sale Sharks, and yeah, we were very very successful there. We won the Premiership in 2006, um, Challenge Cup in 2005. Um, I left there in 2009, went to several different clubs. Um, the most recent one was, was a club called Worcester Warriors. Again, it was a premiership club. Um, yes, yeah, spent uh, nearly four years there. Uh, other end of the table, though, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so we got, we got relegated in the final year there. So I've kind of experienced both, both ends of it. Um, spent a very, very short time working at Stoke City in the, in the Premier League uh, with their academy. And then... Um, went to British Cycling so I started at BC in about 2014. Fantastic Uh, and so yeah you've done some pretty big things with BC haven't you why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah well well, to be fair I've done like a little bit of everything so my my main roles were I assisted a guy called Martin Evans who was the the lead strength and conditioning coach he was in charge with the overall program and um, particularly the sprint the track sprinters and the BMX riders so I helped him, but I also had sort of specific responsibility for the Paralympic squad, uh, which was across all disciplines. Um, and then eventually the, the academy, um, again, that was across all disciplines, uh, endurance, sprint, VMX, and mountain bike. Um, well, basically any, anyone below podium level across the entire country. Um, so from memory, I think there were a total about 160 riders. that Well, I, I managed... S&C coaches on their behalf for a lot of them that were still at school, etc. And then the, the re- decentralised ones that were in Manchester, I coached directly. So, yeah, pretty uh, pretty full on. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it sounds like that's a real rewarding experience to, to be part of that setup. And uh, I guess, really, before we move yeah. on with some myth-busting, why cycling? What's the interest for you? Um, well, 
just to be honest, I've never really been you know, a cyclist or anything like that. So I've, I've come from it from a, a completely different perspective. I, as I said before, I worked in rugby and that's a really, really kind of open, uh, expansive, team-based sport. Um, and cycling, in many respects, it's the opposite of that. Um, so that kind of piqued my interest. Um, and I like the fact that one of the issues with rugby is, you know, they're getting beaten up every weekend. So you can never really make consistent progress. You know, you, you think you're making some progress with a player and then, you know, they'll, they'll bust the leg up or hurt the shoulder or something. So you would have go back to rehab and back to square one. But with cycling, you can really make some, you know, consistent progress. Um, and it's particularly with with sprinters, you know, the, the, the relatively small people lifting huge weights. So it's uh, as a strength coach, that's quite uh, quite good to see. But what, ultimately, what you can do is you can see what actually makes a difference. And someone who's kind of a little bit nerdy on the um, the technical aspects of it, it it's it's quite uh, quite exciting. It's quite interesting to just sort of watch and, and learn what what makes a difference. Absolutely, that's uh, it's really interesting. And I have one one last uh, question before we move on. Who, uh, in, in in general, who are harder, cyclists or rugby players? Uh, it's, it's different, you know. It, it I'm going to sit yeah. on the fence. I mean, uh, there aren't many rugby players I know that would put, put themselves through three or four hours worth of a of a you know a grueling ride, or even longer, you know, for for. Yeah. triathletes and iron men and, and ultra riders you know i've coached a lot of people do audax and things now um so there's that side of it it's just like the the consistent grind but on the flip side you know they reckon the average um premiership rugby union matches are like a 30 mile per hour head-on car crash Jeez. in terms of the impact <laughs> on the body so and you know plus they like to have contact training two or three times a couple of times a week you know against themselves so it, it, and it's different, you know. It's very different. Absolutely, I think that's the perfect answer there. Well, yeah. well, uh, well dodged there, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's jump in then. Let's do some myth busting. We've got some really good ones. I really, I really enjoyed sort of yeah. uh, asking people about this and developing these sort of myths with you, Scott. Um, so that's the first one, top of the list. Uh, shouldn't I just ride my bike? Um, when you're starting out, yeah. Definitely, but the, but the problem with cycling is you're in a fixed position, um, hunched over most of the time, and you're spending hours and hours in that same fixed position, and you can't move around in different different planes of movement. So you tend to overload certain parts of your body and underload other parts of your body. So eventually, it leads to uh, what we call like chronic chronic injuries and chronic conditions. So the, you know, the most common ones are you know, knee pain, lower back pain, shoulder pain. Um, so if you want to kind of have a more longevity, then you, you need to be sort of um, doing things to, to counteract that. So that's a, you know, in, in a nutshell, that's the number one reason. Um, and obviously, if you want to develop power in, in different ways, then lifting weights is one of the most effective ways of doing that. So you can hit it from both sides. Absolutely, and I think that leads us on really nicely to our next myth, which um, is really common. This one, especially with like the, the very lightweight hill climbing specialists that um, yeah. that worry about adding uh, body weight through doing weight. So, yeah. um, will people bulk up? Will they increase their body weight? Uh, in short, 
No. So by by you know being an endurance athlete, by cycling regularly, as well as lifting weights, you're doing what we call concurrent training. So you're opposite you're operating at kind of either end of the spectrum, if you like. So it's very difficult under those kind of conditions to increase body weight. Uh, everyone has this kind of misconception about, you know, as soon as they lift their weight, you're going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But it doesn't happen like that. And even when, we work, when I work with the, the sprinters and BMXers who are power athletes, it's incredibly difficult to get them to actually increase body, body mass. Um, now, that's not to say you won't develop muscle, which is different to increasing body weight. So obviously by lifting weights, a lot of the goals is to develop and increase your muscle mass. But what that also does is it changes your metabolism, your metabolism, your metabolic requirements, and it alters your body composition. So you may increase some muscle mass, but you will also more than likely decrease fat mass. So you have a more kind of, you have an improved body composition, you have a more productive body mass um, and with a lot of the clients I see now a lot of the cyclists and triathletes that I coach the majority of them in fact virtually all of them have actually lost weight when they started strength training so it's a, it's a bit of a kind of a bit of an old wives tale a bit of a myth Absolutely. Yeah. So, and I completely agree with what you're saying there. Like, uh, as, as coming, coming from somebody who's like, I've worked with an awful lot of, uh, athletes over, over my, my time. And one of the yeah. most common areas of which we look to, to kind of see improvements is actually that weight loss. And, uh, it's, it's very, yeah. very difficult and it's a fine line. And a lot of people usually go a bit OTT with that in terms of like losing the wrong type of weight and they kind of get that down that rabbit hole, yeah. which is any yeah. weight lost is really good because it's going to benefit me. But actually like you eventually, if you, if you go too aggressive or, or too for too long, you are, you are cannibalizing muscle yeah. mass there. And then that's just going to, uh, um, going to really uh, mess up your power output so yeah absolutely scott so there's a yeah. great point there and I, I think the, other, the other factor to con sorry the other factor to consider as well is is how much you're, you're kind of predisposing yourself to just getting injured so you might say obviously like you know like um power to weight ratios and things like that are really really important but you're going to be on the bike to be able to <laughs> you're going to be on the bike to be able to kind of take advantage of that and if you're uh, either injured or if you have a fall and your injury lasts a lot longer than it otherwise would, you're you've kind of shot yourself in the foot. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, um, I think that there's a, a great amount of injury prevention that can be uh, done by yeah, yeah. by effective uh, strength and conditioning. So, uh, yeah. so I, I'm I, the, the third most common cycling injury is a, a, a shoulder problem. Right. You know, usually yeah. from, from getting knocked and falling off um, you know, you're not going to stop every every broken collarbone but what you can do is allow the, you know have your shoulder in a better you know, improved posture so your shoulder's in a better position before it hits the ground you know, have stronger bones so you know, the break isn't as bad and you can heal much quicker and get back on the bike far sooner than go. you otherwise would without that any of the future problems that that could cause yeah 
Awesome. So uh, yeah, we're we're going to be yeah. superhuman yeah. and able to recover from broken collarbones. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah. this is that this is probably a, the next one um, is a is one that we get asked quite a lot actually as, as uh, uh, when I when I talk to people who are thinking about coaching and I introduce the idea of doing some some off the bike yeah. work is they say do I need a full gym access? Do they need like like full weight systems? I mean, what's the minimum that people can get away with? Um. Well, it ultimately depends on, on how much you want to do it. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about bodyweight training in a sec. But So you can obviously start with just using your own body weight and manipulating the position of your body in different ways to kind of to stress the joints and the muscles harder. So you definitely get away with, you know, virtually no equipment whatsoever. But there's going to come a time where you get, you know, when you develop so much, you, you know, your own body weight isn't going to cut it. So, you know, in the fullness of time, you probably want something heavier to hold whatever that is um, and probably the most convenient place for most people is a, is a gym absolutely but do you think yeah. that i mean I, i've seen and i i've seen a lot of pictures of people of people who have uh, been really creative with what they can do at home in terms yeah. of uh, like holding stuff like their kids or like yeah. even like large appliances yeah. and stuff like that so what do you think about that uh, again you can do that just uh, you can put your body in a, in a funny position sometimes. Right. Uh, and, you know, gym, kit in gym is designed for that purpose. You know, if you're lifting a fridge or something, <laughs> then, uh, yeah. you know, you're potentially going to hurt yourself. But, you know, in principle, you can definitely do it, yeah. So free weights or gym machines, what would you recommend? Oh, I'm a free weight guy, definitely. Yeah. So, <laughs> everything, has, everything has pros and cons. So the, the, the benefit of a machine is it's easy to use. You barely need any, you, know, you won't need any kind of coaching there to teach you. But like cycling itself, they are fixed ranges of movement. And if your body isn't quite the right size and shape for that machine, you run the risk of it just irritating your joints, which you don't get with free weights. The fact it's free is it can move you know, in and around how your body moves but because of that you can you know accidentally lift the weight in a in a, in a way that it wasn't quite meant for and, and and strain yourself so until you know you use somebody like me <laughs> uh, a coach who knows what they're doing uh, a shameless plug there but um that's that's, you know, that's how i earn my money is, is teaching people how to use free weights safely and and getting the the longer term improved benefits off the back of that. Yeah, and I think that's just a key point before yeah. we move on with our next one. Are we is the suggestion here that at a certain point, if you're going to really be focusing on stuff, especially free weights, should you really be uh, looking to have at least a few sessions with someone like yourself? If it's not you, then it should be somebody like uh, that is there, a qualified personal trainer, just to check that your form is good. Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, it's like a, it's like anything. You, you know, if you started water skiing, you just wouldn't jump off the back <laughs> of the boat and, and start doing it. You get someone who knew what they were talking about to tell you how to do it properly. Yeah, I love um, that. The, the image in my head there's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should have used parachuting, shouldn't I? Something like that, you know. But you know, we, we've we've studied and we've we've been in the trenches. We've been you know, I've been coaching people for what sixteen years plus. You know, that's that's what I've got the experience doing. So and with exercises like squats, there's so many different little nuances that 
you can just kind of improve on it. You know, just put your foot there, just sit back a little bit more, just keep your chest up, all these little things that just change it from being, you know, a quite a good exercise to being a really good, really beneficial, really effective exercise. Um, so you get more bang for your buck. Fantastic. And uh, so let, let's move on. We've got a few more of these. Um, I, this is something that I think, well, I know is more cycling rather than triathlon based, this question. And that's, should I just focus on my legs? Um, no, in short, no. Right. So um, obviously it's a lower body dominant sport, but the force that you transfer actually, you know, um, comes in a diagonal pattern across your body. To, so when you, when you, if you push on the pedal with your left foot, you'll probably need to pull on the handlebar with your right hand. So you've got a, you've got like this diagonal kind of line of force going all the way through your body. Um, and the kind of the, the sticking point for most people is the middle, <laughs> is your what we call your core. Um, yeah, you, you you need to have that transfer of power through your body um, from from one arm to the opposing leg, and that goes through your middle, through your trunk. Uh, and if that's not strong and stable enough, you you lose power and you can injure your back. Um, and obviously, then depending on the type of cycling you're doing, you, may, you probably obviously you need to manipulate the bike, and that involves pushing and pulling with, with some of your upper body. So when I, you know, when I speak to cyclists and say well, we're going to do some upper body strengthening work, the look of panic on the face <laughs> uh, is often quite surprising. But but you know, a you need to. We just talked about it a second ago. You need to kind of protect your shoulder joints, but again, you need to you need to link that through your trunk, through through your lower body to have that transfer of, of power, of force, to be able to as be as efficient as possible through your pedal stroke. Um, so, you know, mo- mostly legs, obviously. Some trunk and a little bit of body will be a nice little balance. That sounds like a great balance. Um, and <laughs> this one's an interesting one as well. Uh, I guess this, and we see this from a cycling or any, any endurance sport, really, the 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 rush to to just kind of go all in from the start without any preparation. Yeah. Do you think it's ever wise to go straight in with heavy weights? Um, well, no. I, mean, I, I kind of put this. It's like a common um, misconception. Ultimately, yeah, we want to lift heavier um, to develop strength. So one of the one of the other misconceptions we have is. You know, I'm in an endurance sport. I probably need to lift light weights and, and lift it lots of times to mimic cycling, um, and that's just not true. So eventually, what you need to do is to be able to lift heavier weights, but you can't dive in and just do that. Again. Like everything I've said so far, one of the main things we're going to try and do is limit the risk of injury. Um, so you know, technique's important, and if you are not um, mobile and strong enough and coordinated enough to be able to lift with good technique then lifting a heavy weight is going to be more of a problem than um than it solves the other one is, is um like that kind of intensity of training so uh people have a you know people who are uh, once you've kind of sold the concept of strength training to cycling they kind of have this um vision that they've got it it's not an effective session unless they walk out of the gym or crawl out of the gym, I should say, you know, taking it to the max. Um, and then they get stiff and sore the next day, and then it ruins the cycle, and they think, well, I'm never doing that again. 
Um, so I, I look at like, like you kind of like how much headroom you've got to be able to get better. So most triathletes and cyclists have been doing that for ages. So they're usually pretty good, relatively speaking, and their headroom to get better isn't that big. You know, to, to improve your FTP by five percent, you've got to do a whole boatload of training. Um, but their ability to get better at strength training um, is massive because the, the far less experience of that. So you can have a light touch and still get the improvements and the, the gains that um, that you wouldn't necessarily get at the same level of intensity when, while cycling or while you know, or running or swimming or whatever. So the, the way I work is 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 get people um, moving and mobile and be able to get into the right positions first and and at first I'll I'll start off dead easy, dead light, and gradually build up what I call the training volume, so doing more repetitions per set. And then once they've kind of got used to that, I'll come down the other side and lower the repetitions, but gradually increase the weight. And I'll just kind of cycle those two and two other bits and bobs fixed in um, over you know a relatively long period of time to, to gradually get to the position where you can lift heavier and heavier weights uh, without the stiffness, without the soreness without it taking too much away from your actual running, riding and swimming. Absolutely. And so. just one thing that's come into my mind, Dale, I know there's probably not like a perfect answer for this, but for those that are listening at home and are kind of planning this out to get started, that uh, how long do you think you spend in each phase? Like how long do you spend like focusing on the form and building up the, the repetitions? And then how long would you uh, probably spend doing more of the lowering the reps with increasing the weight? Um, <laughs> how long's a piece of string? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I've got like, like sort of this, like the 60, 40 rule. So I don't have like a finite amount of time. You know, you must spend this much on your technique and this much on your strength. What I tend to do is have a what I call like a volume block, and that usually lasts uh, twelve sessions, right? So that will kind of change depending on how many sessions you do per week. Mm. Uh, and within that, um, I'll have what I, what I class as my main exercises. So let's say a squat movement would be a main exercise, and then. I might have kind of accessory and supplementary exercises to support that main exercise. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So let's say, for example, um, cyclist A is doing a squat, but they're, they have a lack of ankle mobility, which is preventing them sort of going all the way down into a squat, um, and or a lack of glute strength to help them stand up out of the squat. So an accessory exercise might be a, uh, an exercise that, that specifically targets their, their bum, <laughs> their glutes. So like a hip thrust or a, something like that to get that area strong. And then their supplementary exercise might be extra mobility work around their ankles in the warm-up to, to hit that area. You know what I mean? And then that would, that would continue through their entire training block um, and, and maybe even longer, depending on what they need. Yeah, that makes uh, yeah. that makes complete sense. And it, it really is, it's kind of trying to, like you say, guessing the length of a bit of string, isn't it? Because everybody is a bit different. Mm. Um, but one thing that is pretty yeah. common is the question or the comment um, or the myth that is, 
strength training will slow people down. So what do you say when somebody says or asks you, will it slow me down? <laughs> if it slows you down, why does Usain Bolt, the fastest man in the world, do it? <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> so uh, that is obviously slightly different when, um, you know, when, you, when you're looking at strength. So strength and power athletes, uh, they, they weight train. Um, and if you, there's a load of research that shows that anything from a, we're talking sort of cycling specific, anything from a, a 30 second effort to a four hour time trial, the average power and therefore your speed is improved when you train with, with resistance, when you train with, with weights. So the evidence is, is pretty strong from, you know, really short, sharp durations to long, prolonged durations. Um, so it categorically just isn't isn't true. Fantastic. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In fairness, the, the you... mechanisms for it are slightly different. Absolutely. So you know, if you're if you're a sprinter or a BMXer or or, or like a downhill mountain biker, that that's kind of short, sharp, punchy efforts, you need the um, what kind of neurological power to be able to express force really, really quickly. Um, so we call your RFD or your rate of force development. So yeah, you need to have the torque, but you need to do it quickly and then switch off quickly and quickly again to get your leg speed on the pedals uh, effectively. If you're a longer endurance rider, it's more about the efficiency and economy of your pedal stroke. So through strength training, you can um, inhibit. So if I talked about agonist, which is like the main muscle that performs a movement, versus the antagonist muscle, which is like the opposing muscle groups. So if we, on a pedal stroke, say your, your quadriceps, the front of your thighs, um, mainly the, the main mover, and your hamstrings are the, are the opposing muscle, um, often what can happen is you get like a bit of a neural misfiring, and your hamstrings are trying to work when your quadriceps work, so you, you're almost like working against your own body. So one thing that strength training has been really, really you know, been shown to be really, really good at is, is developing that um, intramuscular coordination to just, so your body can choose when to fire what muscle at the right time. So that, that helps that. And then so you become more efficient within your pedal stroke and therefore um, you, can, you can push higher gears for the same relative heart rate, same relative intensity level. So you become far more economical um, throughout a ride over, over the course of a longer duration ride. So you can hit Fantastic. it both, both ends of the spectrum. Absolutely. So uh, the answer to will it slow me down is emphatically no. And that's sure, probably a good yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't have yeah. much of a job, job Scott. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, we've got one more, uh, which I really like before we move on to the, the sort of how we prioritize. Uh, and that is, uh, do I only need to train off the bike during the winter or off season? Because winter, winter's not necessarily during your off season. So, off yeah, season. Winter for most people, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so again, again, in short, that's a, that's a no, but uh, it's how you do it. So I kind of think of like a graphic equalizer approach. So, you know, like in the winter, you couldn't put everything up to the max and get a good sound out of your, uh, out of your amplifier because you just get frazzled and it wouldn't work. So you can't, especially if you're a triathlete, you can't train all three disciplines with high intensity and do your weight training and anything else at high intensity because you'll just get absolutely smoked and you'll, you'll burn out very, very quickly. Um, so there are times of year, like the winter, where your kind of off-the-bike training takes a priority. That's when you spend more time um, developing those physical qualities. 
back in rugby would have called that that's our pre-season um, but you probably still want to do you know some swimming in the pool some running on a treadmill indoors you know if the weather's bad or, or, or an erg or something indoors and when it comes to spring and summer those you're on bike and your other disciplines might take a priority but you still need to do something to maintain what you've developed over the winter um, when I was back at British Cycling we They'd have that kind of boom and bust kind of approach. They'd have a, a strength training block, and then the riders would either go away to competition or, or a, 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 a training venue in the Alps or something and stop their weight training altogether. And when they came back, you know, they'd lost some of the muscle mass on the legs. They'd lost some of their, um, you know, their strength. Um, so you have to sort of start again and develop that again. And then you have to overcome the initial kind of getting into it muscle soreness and all those sort of things because it's a new stimulus so it, it kind of it caused a lot of problems a lot of resistance to the strength training resistance to the resistance <laughs> <laughs> and um so what we kind of said was in you know in those heavier riding blocks if you can do something every seven to ten days then we found that it, it just helped keep hold of what they developed you weren't having to start again. You, you, you know, when you went into the, the heavier strength training block, you were able to sort of pick up from where you left off from, and you didn't have all those issues of, of you know, the, the, the soreness and, it, and then it affecting your subsequent riding sessions, training sessions. So, um, again, you know, it's me long-winded when you say <laughs> try and do something, um, but but the volume and the frequency of what you do at different times of year might change. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And that is uh, all of our myths uh, or general questions busted. So yeah. uh, anybody that's listening to this that uh, has another myth or a general question, uh, they, you should. Uh, if, if you're on Facebook, you can go to our Facebook group, Spokes Performance Training Advice. We will be um, posting the the podcast there and answering some of your some more questions in there and uh, post that question, and uh, we, we can do that as a, a subsequent podcast with Scott. Uh, um cool. we let's let's talk then uh this is this is probably the thing that i'm really interested in um because this is a very common problem now as i said at the, the, yeah. the start is how do you determine how much weight training you do when uh, i mean for for triathletes who have really got a, a lot on their plate especially yeah. maybe if you're doing something like an ironman you're cycling you're running you're swimming we're then going to try and add in yeah. weight training and and these people might also have like a full-time job and and family yeah. so can you tell us scott for the, for the listeners um who are curious what would your advice be around prioritizing this um well it's one of the ones how you know it's uh, how long is a piece of string question right <laughs> so the, the factors I'd consider would be you know, the time of year that we just we just thought about. So if it's if it's winter time, you're going to be on the road less. So you've got more time to devote to strength training generally. But probably more important than that, it's likely to be around where you'll get the biggest bang for your buck, where you'll get the most benefit. So if you're a relatively experienced triathlete or cyclist, then like we said earlier on. To be able to develop that to the extent you have to put a lot of a lot of miles in and a lot of hours in, whereas you more likely you are as likely to get as big a benefit, if not bigger, from you know a session or a couple of forty-five minutes to sixty-minute sessions 
gym a week. Also, if you're plagued with injuries, um, you know, you can eliminate a lot of those injuries by just developing, you know, loosening off the right areas and strengthening the opposing areas most of the time. So it's a, it's a kind of it depends type question. So we're saying that really it's about being objective with yourself and identifying where your weaknesses yeah. are. Um, and, uh, and I really yeah. like the idea, actually, Scott, that there's probably a lot of people who are actually identifying themselves as someone who has got like uh, a knee injury that repeats itself or ankles yeah. or, or anything yeah. like that. Shoulders yeah. is something you mentioned earlier. And I agree, actually, that's, that's very common just because of the, the sort of weight yeah. bearing and like the, the shock from the road and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, again, and with, with triathletes, obviously they've got, they swim. So you have a lot of shoulder injuries especially if you breathe to the same side all the time. So you, you tend to get like one kind of injured, niggly shoulder. <laughs> and either one's not too bad. Yeah. Absolutely. So off-season's off a really good uh, a chance to kind of be do this like checklist, and uh, which is great news because yeah. we're, we're obviously recording and we'll be broadcasting this initially uh, right when people are, are going to be starting uh, a typical off-season, especially Northern Hemisphere off-season. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the advice here is that maybe write down or check your training diary for any um, any really obvious signs that you, you might have an injury or, or a weakness in some area and then just go ahead and identify yeah. what the, the best way to, to, to crack on with uh, uh, correcting that. So, yeah, thank you, Scott. I think that's a perfect answer to, to how people should prioritize their weight training. Um, so let's finish this mm-hmm. off with... Uh, and this is uh, this is this is going to be interesting. What we can come up with here: five top tips for getting started, and maybe some at-home body weight moves that the the beginner or the person that maybe hasn't done any uh, or is very inexperienced at strength and conditioning um, can do from home. So, Scott, over to you, mate. What, what would you say? Um, well, the, the first, the first. So, I've got five, but the um, I'd. I, I operate like what they call like the KISS approach, keep it simple. Um, and one of the one of the benefits of things like social media and things like this is you can kind of look and see what the people are doing. But one of the downsides of social media is that you, you, the, the, the kind of the far out, the, the extreme or the novel stuff, it looks quite exciting. People, people want to do that. Um, and it's not seeing um, people ground out the basics and doing it well isn't, isn't sexy <laughs> so uh, but long-term consistency doing the basics is where you'll get eight if you're like the old uh, Pareto's law you'll get 80% of the benefits from 20% of the stuff so you know basic uh, what we call compound lifts so squatting hinging at your hips uh, a lunging or a split squat pan are the kind of three go-to moves that that um that I go to core work that um, prevent you know what we call anti extension, so preventing your body um, extending at the hip, you know, in a forwards and backwards plane. Um, anti rotational stuff. So my go to exercise is what's called a, a pal off press. So those those kind of basic things, I mean, a simple approach, is is number one top tip. Uh, number two. It, like we kind of intimated before, is is start a lot easier than you think. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, 
start. He, everyone said this when I was a lot younger. He was like, yeah, I'll just go in at level 11 and, and I'll just do what I can. And uh, you <laughs> hobble out and you, you know, try, try that now at the ripe old age of 42. And, um, you know, I've, I've come to come to recognize the, uh, the error of my ways. So start easy and gradually build it up uh, is number th- number two. Um, and yeah, number three is just give it give it a crack, give it a try, and uh, be pleasantly surprised. A lot of you know a lot of a lot of riders I, I see are kind of a little bit kind of uh, reticent, a little bit unsure about starting strength training because they've never done it before. Um, but whether it's just down to my kind of friendly happy-go-lucky personality or whether it's down to strength training itself they kind of enjoy it after a while um and you can you know you can see that kind of regular getting better getting better at something and and, um it's quite it's quite addictive it's quite it's a good feeling to kind of feel you're getting better so yeah just just get in there and give it a try and uh you know and obviously like we said before a lot of them actually lose a bit of body weight uh, despite the fact they're getting stronger and building muscle a lot of them um, suddenly feel that they aren't riding in pain anymore, and the pack doesn't hurt quite as much, and the knees aren't so. Yeah. So um, it's a win, it's a win-win, and, and and they can probably maybe you know, a lot of them can kind of cut out a ride a week and still get the benefits. So they're actually saving time as well. So their wives and, and husband, you know, other other halves are, are happy as well. Absolutely. Um, Num- number four three, number four just yeah. gonna um take that take the one you just sort of said and that especially you mentioned like back injuries and stuff like that i think we should definitely yeah. have be objective check your training diary and uh maybe yeah. focus on something that is your weakness so maybe if you do have a, ba- a back pain when you're riding or you get knee pain then maybe yeah. that make a, a focus of your strength training so so one more scott have you got one more uh, I think I'm out actually. There, my, oh. and there, my four top tips. <laughs> I was going back to back four? pain. What was that? Was, uh, it was something maybe chuckle. It was like, "What's your favourite childhood memory?" And uh, mine was like not having a sore back. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So maybe there's a few um, at home body weight moves that people could uh, maybe get get YouTube out or something and just uh, uh, do in front of a mirror just to get started. I mean, maybe that's just simple squats or something like that. Yeah, number one is is squats. So if you um, if you can't squat down and keep your feet flat on the floor, there are a couple of things. So uh, have you heard of what's called a TRX? Like the strap yeah. that you attach higher up. So you can use one of them. Or you know other alternatives, <laughs> and uh, or you know if I wrap a towel around like your door handle or something, just to sort of let you lean back a little bit. So that's number one, and then you can progress that to perhaps sitting on a chair and standing up again, and then gradually lowering down. So some kind of squat movement, how you do it, it doesn't particularly matter. Um, the next one would be um, hinging at your hip. So. Uh, there's an exercise called a kneeling hip hinge but you probably need a friend or a partner to kind of hold your feet with that one uh, or like a hip thrust where you put your put your um, shoulders on a, on a on a chair or on a bench uh, and lift your hips in the air your feet on the feet on the floor shoulders on the bench lift your hips up and down uh, so you strengthen your glutes your bum muscles that'd be number two and then a lunge or a, or a split squat would be would be number three. So they're my three kind of lower body exercises that I'd go to, and then the the two core ones that I said earlier on, like the what I call a dead bug, um, which is a, a similar to a plank but 
slightly less kind of um, drastic on the lower back. Um, and there's an exercise called a paloff press, which you need like a little stretchy rubber band for. Um, and they're they're brilliant. That's a, you know, like a five exercise routine with no body work in there, and uh, that's a great place to start. And uh, a great place to finish as well, Scott, because uh, yeah. I think that actually we've, uh, we've well, you, you've imparted a, a lot of knowledge during this podcast. I think that uh, I'm hoping that the listeners are as excited as I am to, to kind of hear how this series develops because we've got some really yeah. exciting uh, ideas, haven't we, Scott, to kind of uh, to continue this uh, strength and conditioning yeah, for endurance athlete series. Uh, so listeners, if you don't want to miss a thing, you know you need to subscribe. So make sure you do that on your favourite podcast uh, broadcaster. Uh, Scott, cool. thank you very much for joining me. I hope Absolute you've had as much fun pleasure. as I have. Yeah, I'm um, looking forward to seeing how things move on and um, you know how many people we can we can help. Exactly, and uh, and a formal uh, welcome uh, for for all, all of us as spokes. Uh, we're really, really appreciative that you've uh, decided to take up a, a position of ex as expert uh, on our expert panel. Uh, listeners, again, thank yeah, you everybody yeah. who has tuned in. It's uh, always uh, great to, to see just how many people are subscribing and downloading the podcast every week. Uh, please do make sure you do share this with your friends. Leave us a little like or a comment, uh, depending on uh, what podcast platform you're using and if you're using apple itunes uh, please make sure you do review uh, be spoked as well uh, my name is pat bryan i'm co-founder and performance director here at spokes and you have been listening to be spoked <laughs>